Edward Abbey once said, Growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of a cancer cell. This is Save vs. Rant. Welcome to Save vs. Rant, the Everyman Gaming Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Jeremy. And today we are talking about the cosmology of classic D&D modules. No, no, really. We are talking about expansions today, as promised. We've actually had time to research the topic and look into what we want to talk about. And hopefully we can give you something more than just a list of expansions that we like. So I think we should get started. Well, I think we just need to kind of define what expansion is. I think dictionary.com defines expansion as the action of becoming larger or more extensive or developing, which is really what expansions are in board games, aren't they? Well, yeah, yeah. If we want to think of it that way, uh, we could say that some of the first expansions to board games were when board games were developed a very, very long time ago. Maybe even games as old as Mancala or, or Senate might have undergone expansion. We don't really know a lot about the very early games, but we do know that Go went from being on a 17 by 17 board to a 19 by 19 board. Is that expansion? Probably. We know that Chess incorporated a bunch of pieces that were removed and added to the game, and different regions had different versions of chess. Is that expansion? Absolutely. We know that card games Tarot and the classic deck of cards that's typically comprised of 52 cards added the Fool, which is a trump to trump the trump in Tarot, and the Joker, which is, of course, the Joker in a standard deck of cards. Is that expansion? Absolutely. But I think that our research shows that the first actual board game expansion, the first expansion that was published for profit as an addition to a game, was the stock market expansion for Monopoly. Yeah, 1936. There may be an older one, and we'd love to hear about it if there was, but we weren't able to find any commercial game that made a commercial board game expansion before then. There were a few other things, like, I guess Draw Bridge is an interesting thing, and that added a piece to a bridge game. But the stock market expansion for Monopoly came with a piece that you would put over the free parking spot on the board, which, if you were playing Monopoly by the rules, was just a nothing space, and turns it into the stock exchange where you could buy stock. It would also add several cards that give you an opportunity to acquire stock to the community chest and chance decks, and stock gave you a certain amount of money when you passed go. The more stock you owned in a given company, the more money you got when you passed go. And there were several different companies to invest in, and there was a limited number of stock certificates available for each. What did this do? It made the game longer, which with Monopoly is... Not what you actually want to do as a modern game player. No, most modern games, at least as far as modern board gaming, really can trace its roots to the 90s. In 1995, the German board game Settlers of Catan really hit big in America. The same year, Twilight Imperium was released, which is a wonderful Ameritrash game, which I, I love. It's fantasy space opera thing. Two years before that, in 1993, Magic the Gathering came out, which completely transformed the gaming market entirely. 
And yeah, it's interesting how all of these kind of converged in that mid-90s time period. And you started to see these things emerging and, and board games coming into a sort of renaissance that we're still experiencing as kind of this golden age of board gaming. All of these games survived by their expansions. They were boosted up by the sales of their expansions. Also in the 90s, as John and I were discussing as we were looking for this, we noticed that video games also had kind of an expansion revolution. Before then, there was really just sequels to video games, but the, the video games of the 90s actually had, like, map packs and the like. Yeah, like, a lot of people remember playing, like, Doom and the other original old-school first-person shooter games and having packs that would add additional levels to them or wad packs that would add additional resources to the game, additional enemies, things like that. And these could expand the games in some pretty incredible ways. Quake, Doom, and Duke Nukem 3D were all pretty notorious for the amount of hacking that the player base, uh, in addition to the companies that made the games, um, I think those were all ID software, weren't they? I do not remember. Okay, I, I, yeah, I think they were all ID software. Well, I know that they introduced a lot of new expansions, but there was also a very dedicated mod community, even in the early days of the internet in that respect, that contributed to these games in some pretty amazing ways. And you saw a real renaissance of fan expansion as well. On top of that, even consoles started to get in on this. I remember Sonic and Knuckles came with a little Game Genie type expansion pack. Did you ever, did you ever yeah, play Yeah, you, you had to flip it open and you could put Sonic 2, Sonic 3, or uh, some some other game I believe you put in there. If you put uh, the original Sonic the Hedgehog game in there, it didn't modify those levels. It actually just gave you this other weird little maze-like game. Yeah, it changed that game, but apart from that, though, it modified several of the levels of the game and added the character of Knuckles to these games, and this was a pretty incredible expansion for a game that gave you some new life to older console games, and a lot of the newer consoles now do DLC and stuff the same sort of way, but it all owes its existence to this 90s renaissance in expanding games and doing more with gameplay. So when we talk about expansions, that's what we're specifically referring to is expansions to games that were produced commercially or by fans to add on to an existing game. So what kind of expansions are there? Well, for our purposes, we, we really had a little bit of trouble narrowing down exactly how to classify the expansions, but I think that we have three good categories for narrowing these down. Now, these are a little bit more nebulous than the categories we like to give to you anyway, but the three that we have are add-on expansions, mutation expansions, and standalone expansions. Add-on expansions are just that. They are an expansion that adds more to the game. Yeah, they'll add additional content to the game or additional items to the game, things like that. They typically add a new rule, a new resource, a new something to the game, but otherwise don't change the core of the game. A great example is Ticket to Ride had Alvin and Dexter, which were two monsters, and you receive these Alvin and Dexter figures and some additional rules rules as to how to play with Alvin and Dexter, but apart from that, you are playing Ticket to Ride exactly as it is played normally. Similarly, the Europe version of the game, you could kind of think of as expanding on the theme 
in that it added train stations. If the train stations were something that was just added on separately, that would be another great example of an add-on expansion. But there are other games that had add-on expansions. I think you were saying that, uh, was it Betrayal at the House on the Hill was the first game that we had sort of a fan expansion to? Back, oh, what was that, 15 years ago? Something like that. 18? Uh, yeah, it was it was my apartment living days, right? So, yeah, yeah, so 13 years ago or so, we played a lot of Betrayal at House on the Hill. It was a game that really enthralled all of us. We would pull it out, play it on John's carpet in his living room. And a friend of ours went online and found a fan expansion to the game where all of the repeated haunts, all of the climatic battles between one player and the rest of them, all of the repeats were removed and replaced with fan expansions. Right, so every single haunt was unique, because normally, just as an example, I don't remember exactly which one's off the top of my head, but let's say if finding the bite in the pentagram room might do the same thing as finding the bite in the garden or whatever, and you would just get the same haunt. Well, this just added enough haunts and changed enough of these that every single haunt was unique, and that the result would always be a new haunt that was different from all of the other possible options. And that was a cool expansion. Uh, it was a fan expansion, though, so it, it was pretty hit and miss as far as the balance was concerned, as opposed to the normal, tightly balanced game of Betrayal at the House on the Hill that one plays, right? <laughs> I have the Witch's Walk expansion for Betrayal at House on the Hill. It was gifted to me at Christmas, and it is even more unbalanced than the base game. It's I'm I'm fairly certain they didn't even play test it, but it's super cool and super fun. So that right there uh, adds more pieces, more bits to the game, as well as changing some of the haunts. I also last year at Gen Con I picked up uh, the Artisans of Nakala expansion for Five Tribes. It adds an extra tribe to the game of five tribes, thus transforming it into six tribes, all vying for genie power, and uh, it, it's still five tribes. Yeah. Six tribes now. But uh, but also Potion Explosion is a game kind of like, you know, those, those match games on your phone. It's kind of like that as like a kinetic marbles rolling down a ramp game, and it's a lot of fun. And there's an expansion for it that is the fifth ingredient. So that would be another great example of an expansion that adds on to the game because it just adds a new color of marble to your game. And that does not change the gameplay in a way that removes or modifies any information. Instead, it just adds more to the game. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about these add-on expansions. So I picked up this game called Tricarian. My friend Bethy recommended it to me. I enjoy stage magic. And the whole point of the game is that you're a magician building up a stage performance. And in the game, it comes with a built-in expansion. On the opposite side of the board is another version of the board that adds an extra area for you to place. That was a that was a Kickstarter, right? Yeah, yeah, it was and a that, Kickstarter game. And that was one of the Kickstarters that had like a built-in expansion as one of the stretch goals? Yeah, yeah, it was. It Oh my... Okay, so we've already ranted about Kickstarter, and, you know, this built-in expansion... Never mind. It's it's a rant for another day, but built-in expansions and Kickstarters, it just... It irks me. Anyway, let's move on. 
So with these additive expansions, we have some advantages. There are pros and cons to it. For example, it typically is just more of what you already like. You know, you like the game, it adds more to it. And it can make the game longer or give it more play options, which is often what you want with a game that you've already played a lot and really enjoy. It gives you more of the same, and that's awesome. It gives you more material it gives you more things you can do cons however the cons are it usually adds extra time to the game adding additional components adding additional parts adding additional moving things to the game and to the rules makes the game take longer when the game could be already four hours long arkham horror has several additive expansions and every time you add one on you are adding an hour to the gameplay of a game that can already be three or four hours on top of that they can also add a lot of complexity and the arkham horror is another great example for that because while we really do love a lot of the expansions to arkham horror they can really make the game a big morass of craziness if you add dunwich and innsmouth and any other expansion, you have a gigantic game with a lot going on and you're going to need at least four players just to wrangle the basics of what's happening in the different locations and that can be a little overwhelming. So additive expansions can be a little overpowering in that respect depending on how they're executed. In some games they're fantastic, other games perhaps not so much. The next category that we have are transformative expansions. These are the ones that often will take something out of the core game and replace it with something else. If you've ever bought an expansion that adds extra characters to a board game, this is what we're talking about. Now, you might think, well, isn't uh, extra characters an additive expansion? It's really not, because... When you add extra characters to the game, extra choices at the beginning of the game, you're not adding more things to the game. You're adding more ways to play the game. You're being given more options, for instance, in Arkham Horror, for investigators that you can play. And that means taking an investigator out. You don't have more players because you have these more options. You just have more choices. So it really changes how you end up playing the game. Another great example is Captain Sonar, my favorite favorite variant on Battleship, way better than the original, let me tell you. Captain Sonar comes with several maps, and there's an expansion available that adds even more maps. Now, you might think again, well, isn't that kind of additive? Not really, because you're only ever playing on one map at a time, so each one is its own variant on the game. Several came with the game, but then there's additional ones that are available for the game. So a lot of times these mutative expansions are just adding extra variants to your game. A game that you already have rules for in a full game now gets a new way to play it. One of my favorite games right now is Kingdom Death Monster. We went over this two episodes at the end of last season, but I, I want to spotlight the Dragon King expansion and the Sunstalker expansion. Both of these have extra campaigns that completely replace the base game campaign. It is a completely new experience. It, it takes the normal story out and puts in this new one. In the Sunstalker expansion, your group of survivors are building up around this ancient Sunstalker who is protecting them. And in the Dragon King expansion, your survivors are all worshipping at the feet of the last great dragon. They also have the Slenderman expansion, 
which replaces the Kingsman, which is sometimes considered the worst nemesis encounter in Kingdom Death Monster, mostly because the Kingsman is kind of annoying, and on top of that really doesn't give you much in the line of rewards. The Slender Man is actually more deadly, by most people's estimation, but its rewards are actually worth having, and on top of that, it is a really interesting fight, whereas the Kingsman is mostly a big back and forth of you trying to learn his weird dance fighting style so that you can beat him in a dance-off, I guess. Uh, anyway, the point being that these transform how you play the game. Uh, oh, another great example is if you think of Avalon or Werewolf, they kind of have a this built into them where you have the standard characters, but you can swap them out for additional players. For instance, you can play Avalon with Mordred or Morgana, and they could easily make an expansion that adds more to it. I don't think Avalon currently has any expansions. It does not. Uh, one of my favorite things is you can play Avalon with the Oberon character. You can also play Avalon with Oberon, which is a lovely drink if you are in the Great Lakes region. <laughs> yes. But also Werewolf had an expansion to add vampires to the game. Now, vampires are not supposed to be played concurrently with werewolves. You can. And it can work if you have a large enough group of people playing werewolf. But as a general rule, werewolves or vampires. Vampires change completely how the game plays. And they have a different way of selecting their deaths and causing the deaths in the game. So that changes a factor of the game. It's another great example of this sort of uh, mutative expansion. Another one is Ticket to Ride had a dice variant where instead of having cards, you would roll dice in order to select your routes trying to get the route you were looking for, which is a really cool way of playing the game and completely changes a lot of the approach to the game. It's still a very random game and you're often left with whatever you have to work with, but instead of that, you have a different way of randomly selecting. So it, again, changes the spirit of the game in several very interesting ways. From what I can tell, this has a few pros and cons. One of the pros that I quite enjoy is it changes the game up in an interesting way and it, it refreshes it. It keeps the game from stagnating without adding a bunch of time. Another pro is that it can give you a new perspective on a game that you might feel has been played out. A lot of times we will tend to get bored with games if we play them too much and we'll want to have some way of injecting new life into them. Having an expansion like this gives us an opportunity to play a game that we're already familiar with, but to play it in a new way that lets us experience the game again from a fresh perspective. Of course, you know, there are some cons to this too. These are often prone to either power creep or complexity creep because a lot of times the game that you get has a very simple baseline power level of the game and a baseline complexity level of the game. So when you add an expansion that changes that, you have to justify that in one of two ways. Either this is a more powerful version of the game with higher stakes or more swinginess to it, more back and forth, or this is a more advanced version of the game with more options. And that was, uh, I think that was kind of D&D's sell when it went from D&D &D to AD&D. That was sort of, it's the same game, but there's more of it and more going on with it. And it really was a completely different game, but it had the spirit of it. And that's kind of what you end up with with these mutative expansions. You end up with a game 
that's now a different game with most of the same rules, most of the same ideas, but perhaps even a different spirit to it. When they overwrite part of the game experience, they might even take you away from feeling like you are playing the original game, and that can ruin the flavor of some games for you. But there's a third type of expansion, of course. The third category of expansion are the standalone expansions. John has a wonderful little game called Super Dungeon Explorer, and it has an expansion that can be played completely separate from the base game. Right, but it can also be combined with the base game. Elements can be taken from one into the other, and vice versa. Or it can all be combined into one epic super game, if that's the way you want to play. All of these are options for it. These are standalone expansions. I think, though, the most obvious example of standalone expansions come from Magic the Gathering. And other CCGs, of course. Yes. Yeah, we, we don't talk about collectible card games that much because, generally speaking, we, we have enough money invested in our own hobbies. We don't need to keep going out and spending hundreds of dollars every few months just to stay current in our current hobby. But, for uh, those of you who do, it is a wonderful experience. Magic the Gathering originally started out with Alpha, Beta, and Unlimited, which were all just different releases of the same product. And then it had an expansion. It had completely new cards, which could be played alone. Uh, what was that expansion, John? Uh, the first expansion for Magic the Gathering was Arabian Nights. And as time went on, they realized that this was what they were looking for in this collectible card market. They wanted to have this continual growth, but a way to allow new players to feel like they were able to play without alienating old players. And one of the ways that Magic the Gathering has done this, and it's actually a brilliant strategy as far as this is concerned, is by having these periodic releases that create an entirely new standalone version of the game. It's the same game with the same basic rules, but with new mechanics, a new theme, new spirit for the rules, and a new setting. So every time you have a completely new revitalization of Magic, I started playing Magic in Mercadian Masks block, and I kind of stopped playing Magic in Ravnica block. So there were several blocks in between. There was the uh, Judgment block, there was the... Um, uh, Apocalypse, that was the block, right? Apocalypse, and then Odyssey was after that, I remember. I believe Onslaught, then Mirrodin, which was amazing because it was a whole new edition of Magic the Gathering, and they changed and updated several things. But one thing they didn't do is make it incompatible with the older cards. But that's when you got the new format for Magic cards. And after that, there were there was Kamigawa, there was, uh, what was it, Ravnica was, I think, right after Kamigawa. And that's about when I stopped playing. I played a little Time Spiral, but whatever. Point being that each of these... Actually, I think Time Spiral might have been before Ravnica. I, I, I can't ever keep that straight. There's so much to Magic the Gathering. But that's the thing, is at each of these blocks... You could come into the game right there, having never played the game before, and feel that you are playing a complete game. But if you've been playing the game the whole time, you didn't feel alienated by the addition of this new material. And so it's a brilliant marketing strategy. It's honestly a fantastic strategy for a living game, and it creates a dynamic, interesting game that continues to be dynamic and interesting. My favorite thing about Magic are the different formats. 
They are the different entry-level points that you can get into the game and actually play. You have Draft, which is a very limited pool of cards, which is often done with the newest set. It lets you experience all of the new things completely devoid of any influence from the past. Then you have Standard, which is the most recent sets, usually... The past two years worth of set. It used to be whatever this block was and whatever the previous block was. I don't think they do formats in blocks anymore, though. So it's getting more nebulous. But yeah, I think it's last two years, right? Okay. And then beyond that, uh, I think they do... Now they do, like, modern. They, they used to do extended, which was the last six blocks. But that has been replaced by modern, right. which is everything with the new modern card frame right which started in mirrodin as i mentioned uh, uh we're kind of we're kind of getting into the thing we were trying not to do which is talking about specific expansions and in this case i think it was a really good segue though it kind of explains what we're talking about because at each of these points you feel like you can enter in and beyond the modern format there's the full legacy format which is like all of the cards then there's even the vintage format which is all of the cards including cards that have been banned or restricted or otherwise removed from the game and with all of that you have various entry points to play the game but still the old guard who have been playing the game since the very beginning can still feel included and still feel valid and still feel important to the development of the game. And that's great. It's actually an awesome way to do things. These standalone expansions are outstanding. So what are the pros of standalone expansions? Well, the pros of standalone expansions are they give you an entry point for any new player to get into your game. They don't have to have played any of the previous versions of your game. You know what's another good pro for these sort of uh, standalone experiences? It allows for more than one person from the group, if you have a gaming group that tends to share games... More than one person from the group can have the same game. If you have the Forgotten King for Super Dungeon Explorer, and I have the original Super Dungeon Explorer, we each have a game that is Super Dungeon Explorer, but we can play different Super Dungeon Explorers and even intermingle our games that give us more options. It's really a good way of doing things. Now, some of the cons of the standalone method are sometimes they are technically an expansion, but they don't really mix in with the base game. Other times, yeah, they're an expansion, but you can't really play them alone. I mean, you can barely do it, but it it's just more of a, a teaser of what the real game is. Yeah, a few standalone games have become pretty notorious for being inferior experiences to the original game, but really good when combined with the original game, which kind of defeats the purpose of them being standalone in the first place. And then the last one is that a lot of these standalone expansions actually expand the game least of all. I'm not saying that they don't provide more material. They do. They're like great big uh, add-ons, but they often specifically avoid changing a lot of the rules of the games and changing the way the game is played, which means that a standalone expansion often has a lot of overlap with the original game. So you might just be getting a bunch of new characters or new maps to play the game on or new environments for the game but ultimately you might still be playing basically the same game and not really getting a full expansion's worth by getting this new expansion so let's do the wrap up here expansions allow the game to keep growing to allow you to give a greater amount of your heart to a game that you already love and enjoy okay no no stop i've got to do this okay i have to look 
Kickstarter has this terrible habit now of having these games that have built-in expansions right upon releasing Kickstarter, and there's several freaking terrible problems with this. First of all, I don't know if your game is good, and part of why I'm kickstarting you is because I have faith in you, little guy. I think you're going to make it. You know what I don't necessarily want? I don't necessarily want, like, 15 freaking expansions for this game that I'm really not all that sure about, but... Man, you got spunk and hard, and I think you're going to play it out. At least if that's the type of Kickstarter that we're working with, okay? So if this is a new company, that's why these expansions bother me. But if this is an established company, and I know they have a good product, then what they're actually doing is holding part of their finished product hostage and insisting that you have to reach a certain level or, or they're not going to release it. And then on top of that, if you actually want this product to come with your game, you have to pay extra money. This drives me nuts. And in video games, we call this Day Zero DLC, right? Day one DLC, it comes it comes right there. Like, oh yeah, if you want Catwoman in the Batman game, you have to pay money. Well, why don't you just include Bat Catwoman in the Batman game as part of your production cycle? Now, here's the thing: with video games, there's often uh, art packs that are added onto some games that are optional and you pay extra for them. And I'm kind of okay with that. Do you know why? Because the art direction and the art department often run out of things to do in a game development cycle. They finish their work and now it's up to the programmers to troubleshoot and do bugs and they can either twiddle their thumbs, go to another company and do work, go on to another project and do work, or make new material for this game that is already being released. And this new material is not necessarily part of the game, it's not necessary to play the game, it's just something they want to add on and they're trying to validate the existence of an art department in the company and that's great because we want to retain employees and we want to support the arts. So that's good. But when you do this stuff on Kickstarter, a lot of what you're doing is taking established companies who know they're going to put out a polished product and know that the expansions are going to be part of this product and know that the expansions are actually part of the assumed premise of the product they're releasing. But are they going to release them with it? No, you have to pay extra money for it. And on top of that, they call what is part of the game an expansion to convince you that this is bonus material. But when you get the game, you realize you're missing something that everyone else gets as part of their game experience. <gasps> you all right? Yeah. You good? I think I've said my piece. All right. So, yeah, let's uh do the do the wrap up here. Uh as I said, <laughs> e expansions are good ways of getting more of a game you enjoy. Uh they at least that's what they should be. They they should be a way of adding more game that you already like to a game that you're playing. Yes, and expansions are not necessarily bad, and they're not necessarily a ripoff. A lot of times it's a game that's already established, and the designers have come up with more material for it that will add on to and enhance your gameplay, but it's not necessary to the original gameplay, and might not even be part of the original plan for the game. Maybe it's not even for everyone, and that's fine. But having the option to buy this additional material can enrich your game experience and enrich the companies in a way that allows them to continue to put out products that we enjoy and love. So let's see, what's up next? Ooh, this looks interesting. It says, Edition Wars, Pathfinder 2nd Edition Playtest. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're going to discuss the 2nd uh, Edition Playtest for Pathfinder, which is going to be released uh, very shortly. 
and we'll go over and give it kind of our first look over. It might not end up being an edition war. We obviously can't know until we see the full material, but from what the blogs are showing me, it might just be an edition peaceful turnover of power, so... All right, well, could be that. It could also be a hostile takeover. Oh, second edition versus first edition... No, am I, am I playing it up too much? I I don't know. I don't know. It's a it's really just a hard fork from D and D three point five, and this is going to give us a great opportunity to see what happens when a game splits off in two divergent directions. We're going to see Pathfinder Second Edition, which is keeping more true to the three point five experience, and D and D Fifth Edition, which is kind of an apology for Fourth Edition diverting so far away from D and D and putting us back to more of the same old D and D that we used to love back in second, first, and third edition. Alright, so this has been Save versus Rant. Thank you very much for listening. There's no limit possible to the expansion of each one of us. Charles M. Schwab. Save versus Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at SaveVsRant.com or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you.